Are you ready for another round? To the latest episode of Rowland Recap. My name is Richie and I am delighted to be conducting this post-mortem of the Six Nations with Telegraph journalist Charlie Morgan, who will no doubt be licking his wounds after a, a subpar performance by his native England throughout the championship. But we're here to dissect the good, the bad, the ugly of the Six Nations and then chat a bit about the small matter of a Rugby World Cup coming in September. But Charlie, thanks for taking time out and how's all with you? No worries. Yeah, fine. I normally use um, my father's Welsh heritage as a get up, but that's no that's no use this tournament. My um, I've got a, a a late grandma who was from Southern Ireland, so we'll just go with that. But yeah, <laughs> my wounds all the same out of fatigue and, and all sorts. But uh, thanks so much for having me, mate. No hassle. Yeah, the good old grandparent escape route has become it, yeah. quite useful in the international arena. Yeah, so like the the Six Nations, if you're an Irish fan, you're obviously thinking nothing but positive positive things about it. But like objectively speaking, as the whole tournament has somewhat calmed down now and people can start kind of really reviewing it and not having the emotions attached to wins and losses, what was your kind of key takeaways of the Six Nations as a as a whole tournament and kind of where where it kind of is leading us towards this World Cup? Oh, really gripping um, as a whole, really interesting and um, kind of um, reflective of how important it can be to, to work up throughout a World Cup cycle. Whereas sort of England and Wales um, cut their losses, didn't they, and, and installed new coaching regimes. And we just saw how far back I think that can set you for a load of reasons for... Um, We'll get into England in, in more detail, but the kind of complaints about them not being married up as far as conditioning and playing style, not being quite clear on their selection. And then you see teams like, I, I kind of, throughout, I kind of termed it as a two-division Six Nations. So obviously you had Ireland and France at the top and, and Scotland, I would group with those guys, even if even if they were, they're slightly below them. Um, and even Italy just from a point of view of being um, being pretty clear on their playing philosophy, I think that came through and that can just be, just those things are so important and they maybe fit, sound a bit nebulous when everybody's at the same stage. So everybody's going, you know, going through the, when, when you play a side who are at a similar level, maybe it's not as, doesn't seem as stark, the kind of difference and the advantage that gives you. But when you really see a team that are struggling for those things, struggling for clarity, struggling for direction, struggling for an identity even, or even just trying to f- figure it out themselves, then you can really see how, where that takes you and how that, and how that puts you on the back foot. So really interesting from that point of view. And after sort of, I guess Eddie Jones had been in charge of, of England, which is a side of cover um, until now, and it had only been speaking about the World Cup. It was actually nice to 
really experience a, a Six Nations, a self-contained Six Nations, because Steve Borthwick sort of, he kind of, I think he kind of, there are a bit of mess, mixed messages about this, but he was saying, look, I'm going in every game of this to win. And that helped you just, well, helped me just sort of really enjoy the tournament as a whole in itself. And that was really great because there was a lot of really cool stuff went on. Yeah, absolutely. And as I kind of want to start where I suppose all the Irish fans want to start, which is with Ireland, the, the Grand Slam champions. But now, when I read the papers now, it's a bit more of a dissection. There's a there's now really a focus on the Rugby World Cup. That's the life of a pro athlete. One day you're the Grand Slam champions, having a few beers. The next, it's like okay, how do we win a World Cup now and get past a quarterfinal? But as a, maybe as a, a lover of the game, just how good were Ireland? And to follow up with that, Andy Farrell after the match was speaking about like, you know, we can still get a hell of a lot better. And even Sexton after the match was still, you could sense that this Grand Slam was more of a stepping stone to more greatness in the World Cup. But like how good were Ireland? But then also like, how can they actually get better? Very, very good. Um, having a low, lowest, lowest winning margin of thirteen, wasn't it? Which was England and England and France is just so, so impressive. And obviously, if that um, offload from Ryan to Lowe goes to hand, then they get full, full points. That offload in at Murrayfield, I'm talking mm. about. Um, they, I think, over a course of the Six Nations. I can't remember who said this. I think it was, it's kind of a, a quote that's been attributed to, to um, Sean Edwards, who obviously knows a thing or two about winning Grand Slams. But it, it's the, you've got to look at those five games sort of as a collective and, and how you're never going to be, being at top form and putting in five 80-minute performances just isn't going to happen. And there are going to be stumbling blocks along the way and there are going to be things you're going to have to navigate um, I thought that obviously Italy maybe rattled Ireland a little bit um, just with how they played in and in a different way. Obviously, they were confronting um, a bit of adversity against Scotland. For them to come through those quite um, tricky moments was just really, really the sign of a, a, a pretty special side, how cohesive they are, how much they can problem solve on the hoof. Um, that's all so impressive, and actually, that was that second half against Scotland. Watching that on, I, I was that week that weekend. Just from a kind of from a kind of neutral point of view, I thought England had I, I thought England had turned over France, which was which seems ridiculous in <laughs> in, um, in retrospect. But just having covered Leicester a lot, I thought that I thought that they would um, come with a really tight plan against France and nick that game. And it's kind of like they did it the opposite way but had England nicked that France game I thought that the that then the Ireland game when they've got nothing to lose and they'd already had maybe one three games and sort of so Steve Borthwick's already got a better 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 Six Nations than Eddie Jones last two um, that they could really cause a problem and they did a little bit didn't they sort of that defensive pressure that kick pressure if Ireland have a weakness at all I think if it, that'll be where sides undo them. So thinking France, South Africa, I think they would have watched England's performance and gone, right, okay, that's interesting. That's that's the template to go after them at the World Cup if and when it comes to that. Um, so yeah, where they can get better, I guess when they're, clearly their chief 
chief strength is that multifaceted play, phase play that just overwhelms teams. I guess when that when there are a few kinks in that and they just don't get that scoreboard pressure early on and teams stay in the game and team, teams with a strong strong set piece, strong kick pressure game, when they stay in the game and there's always that, I guess there will always be that little little bit of um, not weakness, vulnerability, sorry. Um, but I guess just they will they will just want to I know given everything that Andy Farrell has said up to this point suggests that they will just keep getting better at that existing strength while kind of broadening the base of the bases that they can cover so for instance they kicked brilliantly against France didn't they and that was yeah. that kick the kick pressure sort of alleviated the pressure that that France could put on them um, and that proved hugely important because eventually eventually that phase play came good as it did eventually against England and they're just at this stage where um, the sort of great great New Zealand sides could go 7-14-21 in the blink of an eye and within 10 minutes in a game and that just that just obviously just kills sides and that's what they did um, that's what they did against England England were plucky um, but sort of inevitably subsided just under under how many different um, facets that Ireland attack has got those those tries that they scored in the last 10 minutes albeit against 14 men just so clever um, so much composure about them um, especially Sheen's second wasn't it that um, where they've gone where they've just worked that short side really nicely where they did that for the for the sorry for the Henshaw try as well hmm. that's just, there's just so much clearly that they, they have that existing cohesion and that's a really big um a really big advantage for them but the fact that they can just go to it and um and sort of come up come up trumps with those sorts of plays when it's been a fairly tricky hour or so up to that just a mark of a really special side it would be great to see them go better i think they will have to go better throughout this we were saying that however well ireland do in the six nations the side of the draw they're on for the world cup the fact that they've got to play South Africa, the fact that they're likely going to have to play, well, it's either France, obviously either France or New Zealand in, in the quarterfinal. They could quite conceivably have to play, have to beat South Africa and then France to get even, even to get past that quarterfinal that's been a, obviously been a historic obstacle. I think however well they did in the, in the Grand, in the Six Nations, even winning a Grand Slam, that World Cup is still just a totally different challenge and an even, an even more difficult one. So they're going to have to get better. Um, and that's the interesting thing where they can take it. Yeah, and I think uh, the Irish we can be our own worst enemy when it comes to the public or even the media. Where when we realise we have a good team, we can nearly big them up and nearly set them up perfectly for failure. But I think the big thing now is learning the lessons of say the Joe Smiths last World Cup, where we were in a similar position. We just beaten the All Blacks. I think we were ranked number one with like nine, ten months out of the the World Cup, and the couple of months leading up to the World Cup, everything just fell fell down. It was whether it was maybe the over reliance on someone like Rory Best and him just going out of form. Rob Carney was similar. And if you look through this Irish team, there's very few players within the entire team that you could really say, like, in even world rugby, there would be a guy who could do a better job. But I think maybe the big thing that I feel, and maybe some people echo, is since we have such strength and depth in certain areas, so obviously 
I know prop is a big thing. Like you mentioned there, France, South Africa, we're going to have to beat these guys. There's still a huge over-reliance on Furlong and Porter. Don't get me wrong, the two of them are world-class, but the fact that they consistently have to play 70, 80 minutes, and it's kind of a similar situation with England with, say, Jamie George, where yeah. the replacements, there's just such a fall-off or maybe an unproven quality to the players that there is that reliance on them. And then I also then look at Ireland, like how can they improve like it's not a case of like oh we can just maybe create another ring rose in the next four months that's not going to happen but I think a big topic of discussion and I get a lot of stick for it is the second row back row area where you obviously have James Ryan back to his best now which is great to see you've got Doris and Van der Fleer probably the best eight and seven in the world at the moment based on form and then you're left with, say, the six and number four position completely up for grabs when you've got O'Mahony, Baird, Byrne, Henderson and Conan vying for those spots. Yeah. And you mentioned it there that Ireland now are firmly a possession, go through the phases, like can go 10, 15, 20 phases and just knacker teams into submission, so to speak. So... I look at players like Conan. I think when he's pissed off and not getting selected, that brings out an edge in him that we don't normally see when he's consistently playing. You look at Baird against England, I thought he showed moments of like outrageous dynamism. Also over the ball, he looked really, really good. Tyke Byrne is undoubtedly world-class. Peter Omani, who... I get a bit of stick for saying that potentially a burn in at six would be a better option, but mm-hmm. there's no doubt, like when you even look at the Scotland game when Van der Fleer was thrown in, yeah. if it wasn't for Peter O'Mahony, I know he was going up at the front a lot and maybe Scotland could have done better, but he absolutely owned that set-piece line-out and was a huge part of Ireland's win. Do you do you look at that maybe the, the second row and maybe that six position as to a place where you'd like to maybe see a Baird start six for one of the warm-up games or do you think that could be a shift over the next four or five months in Ireland or do you think that it's more or less set in stone that once Byrne is back he'll slot into the row and the six, seven and eight will stay the same? It's a super boring answer, isn't it? But I think that I think that Ireland are going to get to a stage where those they can chop and change and the, and the four and the six, they can probably... Um, They've come. They've come at it a different way to say. So, for, for example, if you flip it on its head, England. England. There are areas now where England don't know their best. Their best side, and they're going to have to go into a World Cup on a hunch. And they're going to. And Borthwick has already sort of been speaking about how he will pick a side for a certain game. I think, and he's doing. And he's doing that. Sorry, without the basis of any real. Um, of it being tried and tested, it would all have to be from gut because they haven't proven themselves and they haven't actually proven that they can navigate certain games. Ireland already have. And I think where they will go, they will go to the World Cup from the stage of having those back five forwards that can do different things. So, for example, if you wanted, I don't know, against a against a South Africa or France, for instance, if you were worried about being attacked at more, at for instance, you might change it up and get more weight in there. I think now they probably, I agree, Baird was, just, just seems to be one of those players who can produce huge moments. And we know as much as being a, being a kind of highlight reel player is a bit of an insult, actually producing those moments in with big momentum swings in test matches 
is so important. Like yeah. the, the jackal turn, his jackal turnover around the hour mark led to Henshaw's try indirectly because that was when Sexton found space over Marchant, who'd just come on. And that was that jackal turnover was with England 10 9 down. I don't think even then, I mean, it's hard to know really because I was sort of tapping away and not, and it feels like a bit of a waste, but wasn't really massively engaged in, in the atmosphere, just kind of was tapping away on something live while thinking, surely, surely Ireland are navigating this. This is just a sort of a defiant rear guard, but you never know. Mm. And you need those moments to pull you out of it and Baird produce one of them. And he looks super special. We're going to, we're going to go, um, spoiler alert, but we, you've asked me to sort of look at a potential lion side and, and just him as a 19, um, being able to cover lock and, and back row is, is really exciting. And I imagine that would be for Ireland too, just knowing that he can front up in those big moments in the tight as he did with that jackal turnover, but also just offer something that no other back five, well, very few back five forwards in the world can as far as his, as far as his dynamism. I would say, I agree with you. I, the, the way I'd actually, I'd forgotten to say it, but when you asked me sort of what, um, where Ireland could improve it, it just is depth. I think in those, in those, yeah, certainly one, three, and then it's it's not so much depth in the back five, is it? It's just just knowing um, how and when to uh, pick the combinations that you know work because you know that every combination now has built up existing cohesion, whether that's provincial or test level, and just knowing how that had come together because you know they've they've flitted um, burn from four to, burn from four to six, haven't they? And yeah. Um, and that just will be, I guess, up to Andy Farrell on the day and, and how he goes about because how he goes about playing these games. I think there is a, you know, if you look at South Africa's path to the World Cup final last year, sorry, last time in 2019, they lost to New Zealand, didn't they? And I think I wrote it down the day then. I think they ended up beating Italy, Canada, Namibia, Japan, Wales, and then <laughs> the final. So yeah. World, Cup, World Cups are so odd. Like they really are. I don't, I don't, and I don't necessarily think that um, it's not always the best side in the world that wins them. It's just who who manages to navigate those seven games. Um, a bit of luck goes along the way, but Ireland, I don't think, could be in a much better position as far as their mental state, as far as the depth that they've got and the options that they've got, and just the form and the confidence that they have in the way that they've um, in the, in the identity that they've developed. Yeah. And just to kind of echo the sentiment of that that comment from you, just even from chatting to some of the guys involved in the in the squad, it seems like, and I remember Eddie Jones speaking about it in the last World Cup when that England team, I think, were at its peak and ultimately showed that against the All Blacks. But he basically said that he, he stopped being a coach during the World Cup. He'd done all his work. The players had full accountability. And it pretty much sounds like that's the case in Ireland at the moment where I think they did something like one, max two training sessions in the last two weeks leading up to the last two games. It was just a case of like getting the bodies right, prepping mentally and, you know, doing the team run, making sure everyone's on the same page. But like there's just that full cohesion, full trust, full confidence. And it's, it's a great place to be. But like, as you were saying there, it's it can be a fine line uh, between you know, being the best, but then doubt starting to come in. So it'll be, it'll be absolutely fascinating, especially with the quality of opposition they'll be facing early on in that World Cup.
to see how, as you said, whether it's combinations or team selection, how they navigate us. So hopefully from an Irish point of view, we will get by the quarterfinals, but we, we shall see. We've got a tall order. And focusing now on England. So there's been a lot of a lot of chats since Eddie Jones' departure, even before his departure, there was huge chat. And even as recently as last week, I had Stuart Barnes attacking me on Twitter. <laughs> but what, like, I look at England and I go, there's a huge amount of experience there. They still have quality. They still have even players out injured or not being selected that still, you, you know there's big moments within them. But I suppose the question I would ask for you is, England, I think everyone knows, are kind of operating at about 60%, 70% of their maybe maximum potential. But in the next four, five, six months leading up towards the World Cup, like Townsend, Farrell, etc., all of them have had two, three, four, five years to implement their strategy, their culture, their game plans. And that's why it's so solid at the moment and so apparent as to what they're trying to do. But with Borthwick, it's a bit wish-washy it's a bit one week it's attacking the next it's a kick chase the next it's pressure one week the scrum is good the next it's poor like how do you see England evolving in this short period of time because the luxury is sorry the lack of luxury Borthwick has is he pretty much now is what two three games before World Cup and he's got the easy side of the draw where the expectation will be England should be getting to the very least a semi-final if not a final yeah, I, th- I would expect them to get. I had a, I when Borthwick took over, I wrote that um, predicted that it'd be an England South Africa final again, and I so can't move now despite that Six Nations. But I, I genuinely think that I have a lot of faith in him as a technical coach. He's getting Ali Walters in, um, who won the last World Cup, so he's is his conditioner, who's. Um, I've never known anybody to be so universally lauded um, in in professional sport. Is just kind of gets positive testimony wherever you look. Um, just as a as a man manager, as a motivator, and as and as far as his um, technical exp- expertise, he was huge for the Springboks, um, and he's just really important as far as counterbalancing Borthwick's personality we keep hearing um, so there's that he's getting Richard Wigglesworth in he's a very, obviously a very smart cookie from um, Leicester um, and again another guy who's really good for that energy of the camp so Borthwick will have his own coaches he'll have his own setup. Um, I think we'll see a lot more clarity around selection I think um, I think we saw what was so jarring was that France game um, and I think if you almost take that out they'd Almost turned over Scotland, which would have been a huge, hugely impressive result um, if you if you think about how Scotland have built towards um, this World Cup and have gone fairly fairly steadily and improved pretty well. Um, they were really good um, as far as I thought in flashes with their phase play in that game. Then Italy was about re-establishing their more, which they did, and then Wales was about re-establishing kick pressure, which they did, and then it all sort of fell apart and really in a after a really odd fortnight where we heard that um, Smith was sort of becoming more and more likely that Marcus Smith was going to come in and, and start ahead of Owen Farrell. Yeah. Um, that felt like more than a single step back. That felt like a couple back and, a, and they were really reeling from that, but then they sort of they responded a bit against Ireland and and and, and trouble the best side in the world. So, you know, there's, 
I think what we'll see is they'll continue to work on that. I think they've already already managed to kind of um, improve their scrum to the point where now per- the perception is what they were worried about. They were worried about how even even if even if um, they weren't necessarily being outmaneuvered. Referees has got to the point where they've gone. Well, it's England. They must be getting outmaneuvered. They must. They must be the ones that are legal here because their scrum had been so inconsistent over the over the past couple of years. Hmm. Um, I think now they're at the point where they've almost reversed that. So that's that's handy. Um, the mall and the lineout will always be decent under under Borthwick, and we might see um, a guy like. Um, Zach Mercer come in or Joe Launchby come in to give them that um, option of, of picking sort of if it's Launchby it'll be a lighter a lighter guys around him in the back five to give them more options or if it's Mercer you've got the, the eight who is who is the sort of specialist jumper so I think there'll still be a set piece dominant side I think where they've got to just sharpen and that will be through combinations is the phase play and just and just capitalising um, being able, being able to sort of um, score tries consistently, create line breaks consistently, um, given given the platform. Because I think if they if they marry that all together, and it's a fairly simple, straightforward template with, as you say, a lot of experienced players, um, the side of the draw is there for them. They will effectively need to navigate that group. Um, and that semi-final looks like the big game, doesn't it? And then, and yeah. then, but but you just can't. They, I think what almost because of how chastening that France result was, nobody will be getting ahead of themselves at all. And you never know that can be that can um, that can spur spur teams in quite funny ways. Yeah, and it's there's a lot to happen, and injuries can go, and as you said, combinations, especially with Farrell, he could be twelve as well. Hmm. Like if you're the big topic, well, from an Irish man looking across the pond, it seems that the big question marks in that England team are eight, ten, and then basically if Tuolangi's going to start or not. Yeah. Obviously, there's a few other decisions to be made, but come World Cup, what, who's going to be eight? Who's going to be ten? And I suppose is Tuolangi going to be in that centre? Treading on my uh, treading on my toes here for World Cup Volta, but there's a guy Tom Willis who's at um, Bordeaux at the minute, who was ex Wasps Jack Willis's younger brother, who he's he's kind of clearly clearly Billy, Billy Vanapola and Steve Borthwick don't see eye to eye. That's sort of been suggested by in a number of by a number of different um, commenters, and there's no smoke without fire and. Yeah. Going over, going for Don Brandt over over Billy Vinopola seemed quite jarring anyway because Don Brandt hadn't been in fantastic form in the Premiership, and obviously he 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 was Borthwick persevered with him through an up and down Six Nations, so clearly it wasn't on the table for him to go back to Billy Vinopola, which was interesting in itself. Um, Tom Willis offers sort of the He's a he's a clever footballer as Billy Vinopola is. He's probably a little bit more mobile than Billy Vinopola is these days. But he's there's still a bit about him. There's a bit of clout about him, and he's um, been been huge for uh, Bordeaux by all accounts. So I would say, even though yeah, he's 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 uncapped at the minute, but I can see I, I can see him going all the way through and and, and really contending for for eight, if not. Um, 
if not, there's Mercer. It, um, and if unless Don Brandt kind of holds on to it, but I can't really see that happening. And then the other option is someone like Curry being back there. Although that might be a, just a bit of a PR disaster, given that was a um, given that was a one of Jones's sort of experiments. So there are options there, and that will I think that will play out over the World Cup warm-ups. Ten um, would be a little bit more. There will be a little bit more clarity there, I imagine. I think that will either be Ford or Farrell, depending on how they want to go with it. Do they want to go with just a 10 and be more direct? Will Farrell at 10, sorry, be more direct or or have both of them there? Because we, they know that that combination works. I think 12, whether to a laggy. It's, he, he looks energised in the against... Um, against Ireland yeah I thought he did well like yeah it's no mean feat to send Bundy Aki flying backwards <laughs> off no. first phase so no and defensively defensively he was decent as well that, that yeah just he, he, he looked like and he, he looked like he was comfortable this, despite not having much rugby leading up leading up to that he looked comfortable in what would have been the most intense atmosphere imaginable in the Six Nations so I, he he will go to the World Cup, I imagine. You've got Ollie Lawrence, who um, is more of a thirteen, but was playing at twelve just to to add that ballast. I think Henry Slade has. It's it's hard. To, you, you're kind of you're putting theories together with what you're seeing a little bit, um, and Henry Slade just didn't seem to be assertive in that second ball player role. And I think that probably hurt him a bit. I think there are a couple of injuries that really hurt England on the on the verge of the tournament with regards to their midfield. One was um, Dan Kelly, who they who they had sort of um, earmarked as a, as a twelve, and just I think to get to get minutes into him, been really good. He's an Ireland age grade international, but he'd won a cap for England against Canada in two thousand twenty one, and then he'd won the premiership, although he'd been injured for the run in, but had been a big figure for Leicester. Uh, defensive leader, quite a good a good distributor on the game line, and just quite tough, young. But I think it would have been one for the future, and to sort of give him up to the World Cup to bed in. So he's he went, um, and so did Elliot Daly. And I think Elliot Daly might actually be the the key guy in in um, in the back line just to, to get fit and get on the field because he's got an existing kind of play playmaking relationship with Farrell. He's versatile. He's 13, 13 11, 15. Um, so I think he's he's the kind of key guy, and I think Tulagi will go whether he's in the whether he's in the first choice kind of midfield will depend on um, whether whether Farrell is at is at ten or twelve really. So I think they've they've they're not going to be a side who have a I don't think they're going to be a side who have a go to fifteen. I think they're going to have to um, change it around according to who's fit, and I think the next cycle will be about nailing down um, a an absolute first choice 15 for Borthwick. I think for this Six Nations, it, sorry, for this World Cup, it is going to be a bit of a fudge um, and it is going to be who is available, who is in form and, and whether they can um, whether they can um, get clarity from that. But I think they will do that around the clarity they have for 10 and that has to be that Farrell, I think, starts either at, either at 10 or 12. Yeah, no, I think Farrell is still a is a key component to that England team, and I even thought even in that Ireland game, like even even how he captained that side, I thought that was a he still is such a vital leader and is clearly the the main man in that squad, and and I thought he did he did play very well, albeit it was quite negative, and a lot of the attacking merchants wouldn't be too 
happy to see England kicking the ball up high in the sky, but sometimes needs must, especially mm. when you've got 14 men for 45 minutes against the best team in the world. But sure, I could go on for that for the next hour. But <laughs> yeah, it would be fascinating to see. And I am cautious of time. So to get onto the, the nitty gritty, there is a certain lines uh, squad that needs to be named. Yeah. And for some of the listeners, or else they'll they'll absolutely kill me. So, <laughs> if you want to fire it away, and if I have any objections, I may I might oh, mate, spray too. a few out. Yeah, I I, I, te- I named it and sent it to somebody who just went, "You're an absolute mug." That's terrible. <laughs> um, but so I'm going to go. So go one to fifteen. I've gone Porter Sheen, uh, Xander Fagerson, tight head. Four four. I'm struggling because you can either go. You could go Toji, but. I was just thinking of a tight head lock that is around that qualifies and there isn't really one is there to kind of give that real ballast to, to Ryan and just so this team covers all bases. Um, I wrote Grant Gilchrist. I've crossed that out again. Um, Launch is apparently going really well in Japan. Uh, Burns obviously not fit. And I want Baird on the bench covering um, four and six, as I said. So we're going to Toji by default, maybe. But I, but we're, okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's go, Toji. So Toji, James Ryan, I've gone Omani with um, Conan on the bench. Uh, then Van der Fleer, Doris, uh, Gibson Park, Sexton, Low. Hang on, is it? Is it? So it's we're taking in, taking injuries into account. It, well, if you want, yeah. If you want to be politically correct, yes. But I, I'd do either or. Okay. Well, Aki Henshaw, if we're if we are Henshaw Ringrose, if we're not, and Hanson and Keenan. So super super boring. So it was basically Ireland with Xander Fagerson, um, then either either Grant Gilchrist or Maratoji, and that was it. Yeah, that was it. Um, then bench, I went. Um, Callagher nicks it over Jamie George and George Turner, I think, um, just for dynamism there. Uh, Genge, Furlong over Sinclair, I think. Baird, Conan, and then I'd actually I'd stop writing. So, <laughs> so we need a nine, uh, a nine, a ten, and a twenty-three. There we go Van der Merwe, um, twenty-three, and. I'm going to get Farrell 22 and do you know who's really good was um, Ben White for Scotland at nine so you go yeah, Ben White out. yeah okay yeah I'm trying to memorise that I, the only changes I would make would be Genjin at one yeah just purely on a scrummaging basis yeah. but I think Porter's much better around the park yeah uh, Furlong, I'd back him to be better in six months, but he's clearly lacking game time. Yeah. I would have Tigburn in at six ahead of Omani, yeah. just purely for output. And the rest, I more or less agree with. To be fair, so I wouldn't be wouldn't be too against it. Maybe as you said, Elliot Daly. I feel like he could have a a big World Cup because yeah. up until he got injured, he was. You know, top two, top three players in the Galar Premiership, in my opinion. So yeah. it'll be intriguing to see how he gets on once he's back fit. But yeah, and then one or two kind of quick fire ones, and then I can let you go. Enjoy the rest of the week. 
But who would your dark horse be for the Rugby World Cup? I've got mine here. Mine is Australia. Obviously, they have yeah, they yeah. have a guy who keeps releasing podcasts every week talking about how he's going on these kind of investigation miss- missions to France and getting the best players all on board. And you look at like who's a Tupo, Skelton, Hooper, Foley, Cooper, Karevi, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et they have they've got crazy, powerful, exciting players that. I think towards the tail end of his time with England, I think Jones wanted England to be that team, but they just yeah. simply didn't have the skill set or players for it. But I think with Australia, he may finally get that chance to showcase it. But who would your picks be? Are your it, picks was, be? it was the same. It was the same to be to, for someone else. I think someone. I think someone from that side of the draw is going to go deep, um, just because. Of how uh, the other side of the draw is just such Stacked, a such yeah. a scrap. Um, yeah, I had I had Australia written down. I think Argentina could could cause a stir. I think England have sort of got all the motivation that they need. As far as people, they've almost they've almost been been written off. I think they will, but they will have experience both on and off the field as for with Alec Walters coming in. Um, but no, let's stick stick with Australia. Okay. And just two more. So a young player to break through at the Rugby World Cup. Okay. So either two, a bit boring, sorry, but two, two English guys, either, either Tom Willis or George Martin. So two, Martin's a lock stroke uh, six, but has actually, actually made his debut in Dublin t- 2021, but um, he's one cat wonder for now but has been really good for Leicester and um, no, Steve Borthwick is a big fan. And then Willis, I was talking about earlier. Um, I think whether or not he breaks through at the World Cup, he'll be in and around the England side for a long time. Coming to Saracens has, has signed there from Bordeaux. So it's coming back into the Premiership to be eligible and is a, yeah, just really clever but tough um really good um at kind of re- the really hard yards but it's got a kind of got a de- dexterity about him in those in those tight spaces too yeah i had jack van p the nine for england yeah. as my i just think with wigglesworth coming in and borthwick firmly getting his hands on that game plan i think maybe not for a try scoring purposes yeah. but from a a box kicking and just overall control, I think he could have a, a big say in that World Cup and be a focus point of England's charge. So I could be completely wrong. Maybe he doesn't even end up starting, but he's one guy, especially watching him against Ireland there the other week. I was like, there's a player in here, especially yeah. when you've got Wigglesworth, who's arguably the best tactical nine we've seen in the last five, ten years uh, he, coaching he, him. He had a really funny tournament. He, he was He was excellent against Wales, I thought. But it's just one of those things where England had it with Youngs and Care, where Care and Care's even Care admitted this. I spoke to him the other day, and he sort of admitted I made it, I made a career out of just just coming on and tearing around between the first sort of five rucks I was on the field for, and then you get off the pitch and everybody thinks that you've um, elevated the tempo of a game, but actually, actually, you've, you've, there's not much in um, your performance versus the guy who started and. The the one thing that would be interesting that so Jack Van Portfleet and and Alex Mitchell that's I think they knit together at, at an eighty minutes really well. Um, it's whether I think if 
Alex Alex Mitchell would suit Ireland and the way Ireland play, but I think the way that England are going to try and just be a little bit more more controlled, more all in on on that kick pressure, and I think Van Portfleet suits that as a as a starter, and and they'll use Mitchell a bit more sparingly from the bench. But both really good players, I think, and they just need a bit of a bit of time, though. Yeah, absolutely. And lastly, who is your pick to win the World Cup? I know you mentioned South Africa and England, but best yeah. to have a winner from you. I, 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 did, I know I did this last time in 2019, and it um, came came out good for me. But South Africa, I just can't see can't see beyond those guys. I know the. I'd love it. I would love it to be <laughs> yeah. Kevin. Kevin Keegan. <laughs> I would love it. I would love it to be one of Ireland or South Africa, but sorry, Ireland or France, but. I can just see see South Africa sort of growing as a tournament goes on and just being absolutely horrible to play in the, in the knockout stages. That game in Dublin between Ireland and South Africa, I know Ireland got over the line. But oh, it was vile. Vile, yeah. <laughs> it, was. it was just one of those that you think, South Africa have lost that, but they've come away having come really close despite not really throwing much of a shot until the last 10 minutes. I just yeah. think it'll be... They won't. They'll be quietly happy. And I, I texted you, didn't I? I was watching it on um, in the stands on Saturday, thinking South Africa are going to be watching this game. You know, that's this is okay. This is okay. So I think, yeah, I'll stick with them. But I would prefer it. It would just be great if um, we had a Northern Hemisphere winner. I just think that um, it's quite important. Yeah, my pick still is France yeah. after the the grants. I just think with them, they've got to pawn to. I think is just like the biggest freak in rugby at the moment. But I think that they even showed against Ireland, they can go toe-to-toe when it comes to attacking side, ball and play. But then also, if it's piss and rain, a bad day in France, they have the size that they show they can go to a Twickenham and just absolutely batter, you know, a big pack around the place. So I think it's set up for them, but there is an asterisk when it is France because they're always around the corner from a massive blow-up. So... Yeah. It is very much to to be determined, but it's it is fascinating because as we've discussed here, there are several people, sorry, several teams that are in the mix, and then there's also teams like Australia, England, Wales, etc., who you know could improve a crazy amount over the next four or five months. Totally. But, right. Yeah, no, Charlie, that wraps it up. I know we've gone slightly over, but I do want to thank you for coming on and having a quick chat just about all things union and yeah there's no real rest for you with the the premiership and now the champions cup on the horizon but it should be a exciting few weeks slash months before the world cup anyway and yeah hopefully you enjoyed as much as the rest of us do not gonna be boring mate thanks for having me take care charlie cheers pal